Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with everyone online and everyone joining us in Milford and everyone here in Nashua. I'm Dave and just overjoyed that you could be with us here today. Well, around this time of year, a lot of leaders of organizations and businesses and even governments will make what they call kind of a state of address. State of the union, state of the state, state of the company, state of the organization. And I think it's a really important practice and a rhythm to establish because as the leadership expert Max Dupre once said, the primary responsibility of a leader is to define reality. If we want to know where we're going next, we often need to know where we really are now and take an honest assessment of that. Now, you might not consider yourself a leader, but all of us in some way, shape, or form have leadership responsibilities because God has entrusted us the very lives that we have. We are called to live them and to lead them well. So do a little self-assessment for a moment. What would be the state of your life today? The state of your inner life or soul? How about the state of your family? Main responsibilities for us to define reality. And today, before we jump into our message, I want to take about 10 minutes just to give a little bit of an update about the state of Crossway, a little bit of a state of the church address. Now, over the four years that I've been here, kind of a metaphor I have used to help us define reality is the image of the White Mountains there in northern New Hampshire. And one of my favorite things to do is what's called peak bagging. Now, if you can look at these mountains, you can stand on one mountain and you can hike to the next one. But in order to get from one peak to the next, you can't just go in a straight line across. You often have to go down, and sometimes down very low, before you can start to hike back up. And I think it's an important lesson for us because oftentimes in life, things might be feeling like they're headed in the wrong direction, but maybe God's just preparing us to climb our next mountain. And so over the last four years, here's how I'd maybe define the state of our church. I came in 2019, and things were growing as we were getting our first year together, and it was exciting. And oftentimes, that's just the result of having a new person in place. We got a nice wave of momentum. But as you might guess, like most places and churches, 2020 was a pretty tough year, and we start to find ourselves descending pretty significantly. And uh, that descent kind of carried into 2021. As we got to the fall of 2021, it seemed like things were starting to stabilize and be a little bit of an easier journey for us. And we started to, as we got into 2022, starting to ascend again. And so when I gave this talk last year, a State of the Church address, I said this might be the state of our church. I used the word primed, primed. And primed is a word that helps us see that we are poised or positioned for maybe a new period of growth. Now, that was a relief to be able to say that we're primed because while we were journeying downward like this, it got a little difficult. And so probably the message I preach to myself the most and I encourage us with is from Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which says this, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your labor in the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Don't let ourselves get discouraged. Let's keep pressing on. Be steadfast. Do the next right thing, the next right thing that God is calling us to. And as we did, he helped us get to this point where the state of our church last year really felt like we were primed, ready for something new. And then as uh, we made our way to this past September, which kicks off our ministry year, the vision that we believe God had for us in this ministry year, which kind of coincides with our 
calendar year of the school was the idea from the book of Ezra that we are rebuilding the house of the Lord. Let's get back to the rhythms that maybe we lost, to to pursuing God, to building community, to unleashing compassion. And over the last six months, I'm just thrilled to say we have just been growing and growing and growing as we've been pursuing God, building community, unleashing compassion to practice the way of Jesus together. And God is good and faithful. And as we look here for the state of our church in, in 2023, Here's the phrase I think God has put on my heart uh, to describe the moment that we're, we find ourselves in. Gaining ground. We're gaining ground. I love the definition of this phrase. To make steady progress and become more. To make steady progress and become more. And I think we're experiencing that both qualitatively and also quantitatively as a community. It's been really encouraging, especially in this 2023 year, how many folks have just been coming and attendance is even getting as high or, and sometimes even higher than it was pre-pandemic. I just looked out the parking lot here at the pond. There is not a spot available right now. And thanks for many of you who walked a big distance uh, to come from the back parking lot. Uh, we see not that just in attendance, but we see not, not just here at the pond, but downtown continues to grow. Milford has, continues to see a steady influx of new people. And over the last year, we've been eagerly searching to find a permanent facility for our Milford campus. And uh, while we've explored a lot of options, that door hasn't opened yet. But I would just like our whole church to be boldly praying that God might open a door for our Milford community uh, to be able to not just do ministry out there on Sundays, but all throughout the week. So would you pray bold prayers that God might open a door that we have not been able to recognize or see just yet. And we'll trust his good timing there. Beyond some of the attendance, uh, we just see things like Monday school. Our two classes have had more than 100 people who are coming to get trained in discipleship in profound and powerful ways. Our Israel trip filled up within one week and already have a waiting list, so pretty encouraging. And uh, we had our largest child dedication this yesterday. And uh, for all the parents out there, good work growing the church the old-fashioned way. Uh, <laughs> But even qualitatively, we just see the ways the Lord is working. When we have dessert nights and meeting new people, what people seem to be sharing and reflecting upon is there just seems to be a spiritual vitality, something they sense that God is stirring here within them. And we believe that is true. And we're grateful to celebrate baptisms and the steps of faith that people are taking. And we're just thrilled to see the ways God continues to use our church to unleash compassion just over this, uh, since, since October, when we did the half marathon to raise money for clean water and our big give, just in that short period of time, our church has been able to, to, to give more than $110,000 to meet some of the most vital and pressing needs globally and even here locally. If you were able to uh, receive our recent uh, church email that comes out every Thursday, and not just receive it, but even click to open it, you'll find out that we are supporting relief efforts for the people in Turkey and Syria to help provide aid prayerfully and financially uh, to support the relief works and effort that's being done there. So if you'd like to give, uh, we'll see some more about that in the, in the coming week, but you can just click on that email and find a way to help join in partnering with some of our uh, global partners to provide relief there as well. So things are just gaining ground, which is a real good gift, and we praise God for that. 
Along with that, it's just important to give a little bit more of a financial update as well. And uh, while things have been gaining great ground, maybe in attendance, our giving to our overall church has been kind of holding steady. I would say we could define our general giving through the proverb that says, give me neither poverty nor riches. We've been meeting all of our expenses and have a few thousand dollars in the black uh, about six months through our our ministry year. Uh, So we are grateful that God is providing. But one of the things that often occurs in kind of the church, church trajectory is that giving will follow attendance. So if our attendance is trending this way and giving might be trending this way, that's going to start to change as people join the mission and want to help, help provide to fuel the ministry that God has called us to. And already in January, we're starting to see that trend take shape. We had our highest giving month of January and that we've had in the last five years, which is really, really encouraging. So thanks for everyone who's taking a step to be involved, uh, to, to take their place and do their part in what God is up to here at Crossway. And as you heard from some of the announcements earlier, uh, as we continue to see more and more people coming, we have more and more needs for servant leaders and volunteers in our Kids Way ministry and worship and tech and uh, some greeting and ushering, especially at our 11 o'clock service here at the pond. And so just be thinking about this is a family. And in a family, everyone takes their place, they do their part, they contribute. So as we want to continue gaining ground, I believe that will happen as all of us say yes to that next step that God might be nudging you to take. So how might you continue to build into the life of our church? But I just want to thank God for being able to give a report like this. You know, a couple of years ago, you're really not sure if that's going to be a reality. But as we sang earlier, uh, the song at least here at the pond, there's another in the fire. This reminds me of Isaiah 42.3, which says, When you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? Because God is with us. And he has been blessing us. And he has been using each and every one of you to help build into the life of our community in powerful, powerful ways. So we just thank God for where we are as a church here today. And thank you. Now today, we're going to meet a character named Lot, Abraham's son. And his life, kind of of gaining ground, really reflects, I think, the moment where we find ourselves in. It's easy when things are kind of trending up and to the right to just be excited, maybe to coast a little bit, to maybe not be as aware and as vigilant as we should, that there's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And while Lot finds himself gaining ground in his own life, He gets tempted to make a choice that doesn't seem to be that big of a deal, but it starts to derail the trajectory that he was on. And so Lot's life, I think, actually has a lot to say to us here today. Yes, bad joke. Someone said, put that joke in the parking lot uh, when they tested it out earlier. But his life really has more overlap, I think, with American Christians than we might initially want to believe. So if you have a Bible, we'll be turning to Genesis 13 and looking at the first 13 verses. And just a little bit of uh, context as we get there. As you heard earlier, today we're continuing our series called The With God Journey through the Bible, through the year, with the intent that that God's message would get through us. And we've been tracing how from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books of the Bible have this constant theme, the with God life. God is inviting each and every one of us to live life with him instead of apart from him. 
more and more and more, that we would be saying, God, what would you have me say? What would you have me do this very moment? And there's 15 key stages to the with God life that have been laid out in the Bible that we're recommending you pick up called the Life with God Bible. Here's an image of it, and you can find that on christianbook.com or wherever you might purchase things. And it lays out this framework of the 15 stages of the with God life that we find all throughout the Bible. So far, we've looked at stage one, which is about the people of God in individual communion. That's Adam and Eve living a with God life, and that's going pretty well so far, but then they get tempted and choose to live a without God life, eating from the tree, taking control of their own life as if they want to be gods themselves. And all the pain and sickness and suffering that we experience in our world is the result of that first act, disconnecting ourselves from the life-giving resources of God. And so from the stage one, the people of God in individual communion, last week Pastor Jake did a great job introducing our second stage, which is about the people of God becoming a family. We meet Abraham and Sarah, and with God's appearance to them, we see that God's mission is to create a family who would be a blessing to all of the world. And that's what the church family is to really be, a vehicle God would use for us to be a blessing to the world around us. And blessing, by definition, simply is about a projection of good onto the life of another. And that's what God wants us to be in our world, in our family, in our community. And so we're going to see a little bit more about this second stage over the next few weeks. We'll look at Lot this week and then Jacob, and then we'll wrap up Genesis with Joseph. But let's look at Lot's life. He's a fascinating character because he has the right beliefs but he lets himself get dangerously close to the things in this world that might lead him to a without God life. So let's look at Genesis chapter 13. And wherever you are, if you're able, please stand with me as we hear God's word. Genesis 13, 1 through 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and his nephew Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and we're sinning greatly against the Lord. These are God's words. Thanks be to the Lord. You may be seated. 
So as we meet Lot, I think, as I said earlier, the state of his life is similar to the state of our church. He was journeying with Abraham, and then there's famine hits, and they have to retreat to Egypt, and it seems like things are not going well. But now they are in this kind of valley while they're going through this lower part. God uses the trials of their circumstances to help them start to acquire a great deal of wealth. And now it seems like they are gaining ground. And now Lot has a very big decision that maybe at the moment doesn't seem so significant, but it is. They're kind of facing east. And Abraham says, and Abram means father. Later he's given the name Abraham, which means father of many. So in case I interchange those names, we're talking about the same dude. And that's kind of uh, why he's got the two different uh, iterations of his name. But Abram is there and he says, let's look to the north here. This is the land of Canaan. If you want it, you can have it. If you want this land to the south, you can have it. I value your relationship and our relationship so much that I would rather disadvantage myself then lose our relationship than, than anything else. And so now Lot is given a big choice. He sees that Abraham's being kind of this peacemaker, and he looks to the north and sees a lot of hills, some of the, the, the shadow of the foothills there. Then he looks to the south. And the south, this Jordan Plain kind of went up against now where we see the Dead Sea. Here's a picture of that. You know, it's just going to be beautiful. You see some green out there. It looks easier to be able to cultivate and to live on. And it's filled with cities. Now, it doesn't seem like a big decision here for Lot, but the texts give us a couple clues that this is a significant choice. The easier path is going to be the land of the, uh, near the Dead Sea. It was called the Salt Sea then. But it also could be dangerous for Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah are there. Now, Lot could have said, Abram, you know, I've been riding your coattails and it's really generous of you to let me choose. How about you choose and I'll go where you don't want to go? Kind of yielding to his elder, showing respect. Lot could have said, maybe there's a way for us to work this out that we don't have to completely part company like we're talking about here. But Lot just sees the allure of that land of the Jordan Plains. And he makes the easier choice to choose the land that seems better. He doesn't consult with God, doesn't ask Abraham's advice. He just looks that way and he chooses it. And verse 13, because this is a clue that this was probably not the wise choice for Lot because the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked. So what does this really matter to us, a decision like this? How does this impact how we live our with God life? Well, I would suggest this. Sometimes the easy choice is not the wise choice. Sometimes the easier thing is not the better thing. Sometimes the easier thing is not what brings us closer to the heart of God. And I think we live in a culture that preaches the gospel of easy to us all the time. The easier thing is probably the right thing. And we're just inundated with this message everywhere we go. This is one of the last times I was driving up Route 3, and that's, 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 I'm meaning maybe Route 3 for all of you who say it incorrectly. But when I was driving up Route 3, I saw this big billboard for the Manchester airport that says, make vacation easier. Fly this way instead of to the Boston Logan. Now, I've only actually ever flown out of Manchester once, and my flight got canceled. I had to shove into a van and drive all the way down to Boston Logan where we finally got out of there. I know, first world problems. I will just confess that. But it didn't make anything easier for me, but that's what they're trying to promise. 
Maybe one of the most successful advertising campaigns uh, that I can remember was from the office supply company Staples. And we all know what they kind of advertise with. How about the easy button? I was going to bring an easy button here to kind of illustrate this, but then I saw they have sold about 10 million easy buttons, and I don't want to contribute to this issue of people buying something that I think is not so helpful, doesn't do anything except clutter up our desk, but we love the idea of, I can just push that and it's easy. We love the idea of things getting easier for us. Technology makes the promise of easy everywhere, and a lot of technology does make things better. But a lot of times, while it might make things easier, it might make us more isolated from one another. It might make us more heightened and angry toward one another. While it's easier, it might not necessarily be better. Is easy the path to spiritual growth and to gaining ground? If we go way back in church history to about the 5th century, something fascinating was occurring this subversive movement of Christianity was growing just so, so significantly that now suddenly some of the Romans who were in charge started to take notice. And they thought it would be politically advantageous for them to identify as Christians, even though they had no intent of actually living out the way of Jesus. Now, fortunately here in America, that never happens among politicians. But, uh, but we start to see this in the Roman Empire, that it became advantageous financially or politically or for power to identify as a Christian. And now suddenly this faith that was this radical movement of the way of Jesus is starting to get colluded and, uh, and co-opted by the empire. And so a group of Christians are saying, we want to really preserve this, what this text says and not let the enculturation around us start to cause us to conform to this pattern of like Roman Christianity. We want to preserve the real thing. So a group of men and women decided to withdraw from kind of the daily life in the cities and societies and make their way to live out in the desert. Now, it's a pretty radical move, but they realized if we keep ourselves so closely connected to the culture, it's going to influence us more than we're going to maybe be able to influence it. And so they make this strategic withdrawal to try and recapture and relearn the way of Jesus. And very fascinatingly, one of the key themes that these people, as they took themselves away from culture for a moment, what they started to realize and identify is that the temptation to live an easy life is one of the most detrimental things for our spiritual growth and our walk with Jesus. One of these desert fathers, a man named Abba Pastor, had a couple things to say about this. Now, this is not scripture, but this is someone who's intently tried to live the way of Jesus, and his words have been standing kind of the test of time for the last 1,500 years or so. Let me read this to you. Abba Pastor said to kind of a brother who was coming to ask his spiritual advice, he says, there are two things which a monk ought to hate above all, for by hating them, he can become free in this world. And a brother asked, what are these things? The elder replied, an easy life and vain glory or vanity. Two things we should despise because if we don't despise them, we will not be free. A lot of us are just longing for that inner spiritual freedom. We don't want to be held back by the things that continue to grip our hearts. And so what was the wisdom that Alba Pastor shares to this brother in Christ? Distance yourself from vanity and distance yourself 
from pursuing an easy life. Because the pursuit of an easy life can sometimes bump up against the with God life. And oftentimes it does. Now we know what's wrong with vanity and we see it all over the place in our world today. But sometimes we don't necessarily recognize the spiritual perils of an easy life. So in another one of his sayings, Abba Pastor says this, Just as bees are driven out by smoke and their honey is taken away from them, so a life of ease drives out the fear of the Lord from people's souls and takes away all their good works. Fascinating. A life of ease can drive people away from God, from this fear of the Lord, of pursuing Him and desiring this with God life. Because if my life is so easy, well, do I really have space for God? Do I really need Him? Now, we're not saying easy is wrong in and of itself, but easy can lead to what is. It not only drowns out the fear of the Lord or drives it out, but it prevents us often from doing the good works that God would have us to do to serve Him, to, to witness to other people, to, to practice spiritual disciplines. It might be hard, but they're good for us. That resistance is how we get stronger, just like if we're an athlete in training. An easy life dries out the fear of the Lord because His life is too luxurious, too comfortable, too safe. We might not see a need for God. Now, I think there's actually some consolation for a lot of us who might be going through a harder time in life. And I love getting to meet with many of you, and I know a lot of us have our own struggles. Sometimes we wonder, God, why don't we just make things easier for me? And maybe the reason for that is because God wants something more for you than just your own sense of ease and comfort. God wants your heart. God wants to get closer to you. And so instead of trying to pray away the problem that I might have or the thing that's slowing me down or holding me back or the physical st struggle or ailment that I'm dealing with or, or the relational situation I wish would just go away, perhaps God is allowing that in our lives as a way to drive us to our knees to pursue Him and to acknowledge just how much we need God. And we come to that point of needing God, I believe we'll be able to know God more intimately and love Him more intensely and follow Him more closely. So maybe God's allowing a struggle into your life or your situation so you can know and love Him more. But I believe this pursuit of ease is everywhere in our culture, isn't it? Not just in the billboards, not just on our phones. It just seems like it's baked into us. And it's also been something that has pervaded our Christianity. And here's my contention. Maybe one of the big unspoken reasons why Christianity has been experiencing a deep decline in our country is because we have made our Christianity far too easy. Now, we may not be consciously aware that we're doing this, but we find ourselves immersed in a culture that keeps telling us easy must be the right thing, must be the better thing, might be the best thing. But I believe these desert fathers would tell us this. And here's kind of my summary of what we're trying to say here today. If you're aiming for easy, your target probably isn't God. If you're aiming for easy, the easier life, the, the, the path of least resistance, God's probably not our target. Because Jesus tells us in this life, you're going to have trouble. You've got to lose your life to find life. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. That's what practicing the way of Jesus is all about. 
And if we want to continue gaining ground, then we must say yes to the harder thing rather than just defaulting to the easier thing. And again, easy is not necessarily wrong, but it can lead to what is. And that's what we start to see happening in the life of Lot. In chapter 13, Lot is living near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But in chapter 19, we find himself living smack down in the middle of the city. And what's happening in those places is so deplorable, so uh, egregious, so abhorrent that like the people in Noah's day, God is going to wipe these cities away. Abraham is told this, and he knows his son Lot, is, his nephew Lot is living there. So Abraham is praying and praying, spare the city if there's just 40 people that are righteous. Then 30, just 10. If there's just 10, would you spare it? And God keeps saying yes and yes and yes, but there's not even 10 righteous people there. And because of Abraham's faith, I believe God sends a couple of angels in the form of men to rescue Lot and his family from what is about to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's kind of wrap up by seeing how this story goes. This is Genesis 19, and we'll look at verse, uh, starting with verse 12. The two men who were in the form of angels who came to rescue Lot said, Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, daughters-in-law, or sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you. Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. Then the Lord rained down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. From the, from the Lord out of the heavens. That was verse 24. Verse 25. Thus he overthrew these cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. This whole chapter 19 kind of wrecks our idea of what we think the Bible should maybe be all about. And I kind of edited quite a bit of the story because uh, it's pretty R-rated, to be honest. But there's some things that we can learn from Lot here. First, even though he drifted significantly from the Lord, God still sought out to rescue him. I take great hope in this because later in chapter 19, it says God spared and rescued Lot because he remembered Abraham. Abraham's faith had an impact on his nephew's faith. And I know many of us have loved ones that maybe are far from the Lord or maybe going down a dangerous path where they're flirting with things that will not be for their ultimate good. And maybe it's possible that because of our faith and the ways that we walk with God, maybe God will just have more and more mercy upon those we love, just like he did on Lot. Second thing here, though, I think is really powerful for us and very instructive is that when it says these angels, these people want to take Lot and his family out from the city, go, flee, go to the mountains. It says Lot hesitated. And other translations say that Lot lingered. 
he got himself so attached to this other world. He maintained his belief in God, but boy, he was dabbling. He was dipping his toes into these Sodom and Gomorrah waters. Maybe he wasn't directly responsible for these things, but he was allowing a lot of things in his life that he shouldn't. I love this quote from Henry Cloud from his book, Boundaries for Leaders, going back to how we lead our lives. As a leader, and you are one of your life, as a leader, you get what you create and what you allow. Look what Lot was allowing to get really close to his life and impacting his family. What are things that we just allow our eyes to linger on? Maybe on our devices. Maybe at work. How do we flirt with temptation? Maybe seeing things itself isn't wrong. But this is a cautionary tale, a real warning. Don't let yourself linger or flirt with sin, or flirt for things that are opposed to the way of God. Pursue Him wholly and, and, and solely. And as Lot lingers, eventually the angels just kind of take him and grab his family and get them out of there. Now, it's one of the things when I read the story, you know, as a, as a younger person, it says, don't look back, and you get this image that his wife just kind of glances to see, like, what's happening back there, and psh, you know, kind of, she's like turned into a pillar of salt all, you know, right on the spot. But as you look into the original text, the Hebrew language here, that word for looking back is far more than just a passing glance. It's showing that she still has attachments to this other place, that her higher loyalty is not to God, not to the Creator, but to the things that have been created and made, things that are opposed to God. And it reveals the state of her heart. Her heart isn't dedicated to God as much as it's dedicated to these things. And because she made those choices, we can choose the conditions of our lives, but we can't choose the consequences. And sometimes God gives us over to the consequences of our decisions. And this was the consequence in this particular situation. But what I find fascinating is when we first met Lot, and this is a tough story, and I know we can kind of feel, I can just feel it in the room, the discomfort. This is a warning. Lot's life was gaining great, great ground. But then he faced a choice where he was not acknowledging God, not maybe seeking the wisdom of others, and it led him to drift for his mission, his purpose, his calling to drift. And if we're not vigilant, if we're not prayerful, if we're not continuing to seek the face of God, we as a church could be vulnerable to that as well. But I believe if we choose the way of Jesus, choose to live a with God life instead of the easy life, God will help us stay on the right path. So I want to challenge us to do a hard thing here this next week. I'm going to call this an easy evaluation. And it's anything but easy. But I want it for us to start to gain some awareness of where a sense of looking for the easy thing has just been our default mode instead of pursuing what God would want. So a way we can do this easy evaluation, there's three questions or three little actions here for you. First, where has the pattern of easy been in your life? When have you just kind of done what seemed easier because that just looked better and maybe you didn't really consult with God? You just kind of made that choice. When have you kind of just yielded to what is easier? That might be a little hard to discern, so I think the second question might really help you. Secondly, what have you been avoiding because it's easier not to do or say something. Where is there a pattern of avoidance in your life? Maybe it's a hard conversation you don't want to have. Maybe there are things that you, you know, know you should do, like read Scripture, but it's kind of hard, so I'll just procrastinate on that or do that later. What have you been avoiding not doing? Because it's just easier. 
I'm guilty of many of these things myself. Thirdly, pay attention to just the easy choices you make in your life. You know, phones make easy everywhere kind of the norm. How many times do I just pull out my phone and look for something to distract me, maybe rather than talk to the people in my presence? How often do I maybe look to distract myself and, and, and assuage my worries or my anxiety rather than bringing them to God? Track along how you just default to the easy thing. It's the pattern of this world that we are in, just engrossed in. But help define that reality of your life. And see how God instead might be inviting you to live what may be a harder life, a more challenging life, a with God life. And then make this reset or resolve in your life. Make this your prayer to intentionally choose to live the with God life rather than defaulting to just doing the easy thing, choosing the easier life. And here's why I think this is so important. Because it's a lot easier to avoid than engage, isn't it? It's a lot easier to worry than to pray. It's a lot easier to get angry than to really listen. It's a lot easier to compromise than to stand up for your convictions. It's a lot easier to go with the flow and believe what everybody else is than to go against the grain. And it's a lot easier to eat, drink, and be merry than to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. But friends, let me tell you, The harder thing, the way of Jesus, is the much, much better thing. Easier doesn't mean better. But Jesus, as we follow him, promises that we would have life and have life to the limit. So may we be a church that resists the temptations to just do what's easier and instead embrace this with God life, the life that will lead to life that's truly life. May we be a with God church. And as we make that choice together, may we pray that God would help us gain ground in building the kingdom so that this world would be more like heaven and less like hell. And I'm excited for the season ahead. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your faithfulness that God, even while we have been unfaithful, God, you continue pursuing us. That your love and your mercy follows us all the days of our lives even when we are in the valleys. And thank you, God, for bringing us to new places, to greener pastures. But help us to be vigilantly aware that there are temptations to come, temptations to do life our way instead of yours. And so, Lord, I pray this week we would really see how the pattern of easy has found its way into our lives. And may we change the way by your grace that we are thinking and acting, that we might do the hard thing, live out the hard callings that you've given to us. Not just to avoid easy, but to believe maybe you've allowed some of these hard things into our lives so we could know you more intimately, love you more passionately, and follow you more closely. And help us to do that with courage and through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. And we ask all these things for God's greater glory. And everyone said together, amen.